to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. With years of experience on his racing resume in sprint cars and mod lights, this American racer recently became the first openly gay driver to get behind the wheel of an ARCA car and will also be running in the NASCAR truck series this year. Brought into the world of racing by his father, he talks us through his career to date. He's absolute in his affirmation that his sexuality does not define him nor his talent for racing and hopes his story can help others who might find themselves in his shoes. But before we make our introductions, we want to say a big thank you to Racing Pride for linking us up with today's guest. To find out more about how they are working to positively promote LGBTQ plus inclusion in the motorsport industry, check out their website at racingpride.com. For now, get ready for a chat with Devon Rouse. To start things off, Devon, thank you for joining us. Could you tell our listeners a bit about what you're up to at the moment and what series you're currently racing in? Yes. So currently, I just actually went down and competed and completed uh, the yearly Daytona ARCA test. Uh, with the Arkham Menard series. And that went really well. I think there, between both days of testing, there was a total of 57 drivers, 58 drivers. And that was actually my first time uh, really on pavement. And I finished uh, 40th, uh, 40th quick. So for me coming from dirt to being the first time on the largest, technically the largest stage in motorsports, I was very happy with that. Um, the series that I'm looking at running this year is uh, for pavement wise, uh, running with the NASCAR Arkham Menard series and then uh, the NASCAR Camping World Chuck series as well. Right now, uh, due to my approval and eligibilities, you know, only having dirt experience, I'm limited to track sizes and where I can race. So in both series, I am limited to any track a mile and smaller. So that leaves me 20 ARCA races and two Camping World Truck Series races. That's really interesting. It sounds like you've got a very fun year or so ahead of you when you do manage to actually uh, start competing in those. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking very forward to this year. Um, this week, this coming week and next week, we're going to try and get all the sponsor stuff finalized and get our uh, car designs out. I've released some concept designs that we have done. Uh, that we're getting pretty excited for. And then also, you know, for the dirt stuff, uh, I'll be running my family-owned sprint car here in the Midwest uh, whenever I am home. I'll still run that as well. And then uh, at the end of the year, I will be uh, heading over to Australia to go race in the winter time. And I've had that deal now for a couple of years. Unfortunately, this year due to COVID, I was not able to go. So, you know, I'm hoping that this year will be a big year and then, you know, we can top it off with a great trip to Australia. That sounds amazing. Sounds like you've got some <laughs> good things lined up. So hopefully you can get going with that soon. Um, you mentioned that you're not so used to pavement, but more so with dirt. Can you talk us through your racing career so far, starting from the beginning um, with karting? 
Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> the way that I got into racing, uh, my dad was a drag racer. He raced drag cars. And so all of his buddies were getting their kids into go-kart racing. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to do the same. So I started racing go-karts. Technically, I was three and turned four very shortly that summer after. Uh, my birthday's in July. So I started technically at the age of three and raced go-karts from the age of three to 13. My last six years of go-kart racing, I was a six-year-in-a-row track champion, was only beat three times, three races in six years. So we felt like we had the go-karting down to almost a T. I mean, we were almost unbeatable except those three races. So then at the age of 13, you know, if we'd for some reason have an off weekend or something, we'd go to the big track, the actual big dirt tracks that you see and go watch. And I fell in love with mod lights. So at the age of 13, I started racing mod lights and I raced those from 13 to 19 became, you know, it took a couple of years uh, to really get the feel for that. It was a big change, a lot more power from a go-kart and being on a big track. There was a lot of, a lot of different variables set up wise that came with this car. So our first few years, which you learn every time you go onto the racetrack, it doesn't matter how long you've been racing. You learn every time you step into the car. So, you know, it was a big learning curve going from go-karts to that. And, you know, we became successful and I ended up claiming some feature wins, multiple heat race wins. Uh, and then my first year when I was 13, I raced my first nationals event in the mod light. And we ended up having, I think, almost just shy of 70 cars. And it was a qualifying where you had to qualify or you weren't going to make it. So I missed the transfer spot in my heat race by one spot. So I was put into the B main and I started fourth in the B main and I took the last transfer spot. They took the top three. So I started 27th out of 34 cars. It, the race was at 34 raceway, 34 cars, 34 laps for $3,400. So I started 27th out of 34 and I got hard charger and made it all the way up to seventh. Wow. In my rookie year. So that was kind of like a big confidence booster to me. So then uh, flash forward a few years, uh, my 17th birthday, my parents call me and they're like, Hey, we're at the race shop, but we need, we need some help. Uh, with some stuff down here. Can you come down here real fast? So I was like, oh, sure, whatever. I'll run down there. I didn't notice anything different. You know, there weren't many cars that weren't normal down there. And I walk in and there were a lot of my closest friends and closest family. And this day that they called me was my birthday. And I walk in and for my 17th birthday, there was a turnkey sprint car sitting there wow. down at the race shop. <laughs> so I was surprised with a sprint car for my birthday. And then have been running sprint cars from the age of 17 to now 22. I'll be 23 this summer. And then did two years of double duty with the Mod Light and the sprint car. Because I raced the Mod Light from age 13 to 19. So for two years, uh, I did double duty. And then we ended up selling the Mod Light and put our focus to sprint car racing. And then at the end of 2019 was when I got my NASCAR in. And... Uh, here we are now. <laughs> <laughs> You've been well and truly stuck into racing from the start. You got involved so young. Three is, is tiny, but that's fascinating. That it's all led to this point and 
you've had so much success as well, which is brilliant. You've been really successful in the different things that you've thrown yourself into. But what's the next steps for you? What's your ultimate career goal, seeing as you've, you know, had experience across different things so far? Where are you headed now? So, you know, for this year, uh, I'm really hoping to make you know, as many runs as I can on asphalt, especially, you know, knowing that I have the eligibility to be able to run 22 NASCAR sanctioned events this year, I'm really going to push for as many of those as I possibly can. Um, you know, I do know what my end goal is. I want racing as a career. And, you know, I was younger, like not right as I started racing go-karts, but it was the more that I grew up and it was like, well, racing was more than just something you did on the weekend. It was a priority. It was, a part of me now and the older I've gotten and the more I've gone through racing and the, the larger races I've seen. And now the more and more people I've met, especially getting into the NASCAR ranks, it's like, this is what I want to do with my life. Like I want to be a race car driver and that's every race car driver's dream is to, you know, make it like that. And I still have a long ways to go. I'm just fortunate that, you know, I've, I've gotten to where I am right now. So for my goals this year, you know, is to run as many of those Arkham Menard series races as possible, as well as the two truck races that I'm approved for, uh, uh, Bristol Motor Speedway and then Knoxville Raceway uh, here in Iowa. So I'm really pumped for the Knoxville race because it's only about two hours from my hometown. So all my followers and friends and home people will get to come watch me in a NASCAR race. That's pretty awesome, and I'm sure they can't <laughs> wait to see how you do. And that must be so nice to be with your sort of state crowd, town crowd. So that's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. You mentioned that it was your dad that sort of got you into racing with his history of racing as well. So the question that I sort of want to ask kind of links to that, but it may be a completely different answer. Is there any anyone that you have met or come across throughout your career so far that has sort of been inspiring to you or became sort of like a defining moment for you by meeting this person absolutely um you know like i said my dad was the first one to get me started into everything and my not even just my dad i mean my my whole family as well my mom you know i mean they've given me absolutely everything they can up to this point to where now it's kind of like me not stepping away from our sprint car team but going on to entertain other endeavors, but still also have this for when I'm home, you know, it's, it's kind of on me now. And so I think that, uh, you know, they're very excited for me. It'll just, it's going to be a change, not being at the racetrack every weekend and it being just us. It'll just be them spectating for, uh, you know, role models of mine. My go-kart number was 24. Uh, my role model was always Jeff Gordon growing up, and I actually got the opportunity to meet him here a couple of years ago at um, Knoxville Nationals. So a little backstory on that, uh, you know, Jeff Gordon was sponsored by DuPont for the longest time, and then DuPont, uh, all the automotive industry went to Exalta. Well, I worked at DuPont up to this past year. I worked at DuPont for just a little over three years and our plant here is split half DuPont, half Exalta. And I actually, you know, got in with the Exalta people and Exalta is one of my sponsors on the sprint car. Well, David Gravel 
uh, had a full Exalta sponsored race car for Knoxville Nationals. So, you know, I had all my Exalta stuff and it was cool to kind of sit there and talk with the Exalta people. You know, yeah, I didn't have it as the at the corporate level sponsorship like them, but knowing that I met Jeff Gordon and that there was that connection there of having the same company backing, uh, that was pretty cool. And then, you know, now that I've gotten into the NASCAR scene, it's more of, I was told this by somebody and they said, you know, we go from role models to like competitors and then to friends. So for instance, like Dale Earnhardt, I've met Dale, we've had dinner together. He's, you know, and then his sister, Kelly Earnhardt Miller, Kelly, you know, Kelly and I stay in contact every now and then we're friends on stuff. I mean, we will email and message back and forth. So, you know, these role models and stuff that I used to see on TV, I see on social medias. Now that I've been traveling with the teams and stuff for a little over a year, it's, it's weird to sit there in the same driver's meeting and the same press conferences and the pits and know that I'm, I'm one of them now. Like I am a competitor as well. So that's kind of a, that's one thing that the head hasn't wrapped around yet was knowing that, you know, they're competitors now. They're not, I mean, yeah, they're still idols and figures I look up to, but we are in the same division of racing now. They've become your peers, uh, which is amazing and a testament to how far you've come yourself. That's obviously surreal and a bit of a pinch me moment, I imagine, every time you do look <laughs> around and you're like, oh, wow, I'm actually here with, with these people that I've, I've looked up to for however long. Looking back at your career, what are some other highlights and surreal moments that you've had? So I will never forget my first feature win in a, a big car, which was the Mod Light. And that morning, we had the race car loaded in the hauler and everything. We were actually back in town. We were way ahead of schedule. And I think we had like five hours before we had to head to the racetrack. And so we were just hanging out. And early that morning, we'd received a phone call that my grandma had had a stroke and she was in the hospital. So, you know, I told my, it was my dad's mother. And I told him, I was like, you know, we don't, we don't have to go race. You can go to the hospital, go, because you just don't know what's going to happen. He's like, no, we're, we're going to go racing. We're going to go racing. We're going to go racing. We're not missing racing. And so uh, I had a really good heat race that night. And I started, I started the feature second row inside right before I leave the trailer to head to staging. Uh, my dad brought the phone to the car and he's like, here, it was right before I put my helmet on. And it was my grandma. And she was on the phone and I had told her that I was going to go win for her. And I had never won before in, in a mod light on a big track like that. And I ended up going and winning by over a straightaway and got my first feature win on that night. So that was kind of a, a surreal moment when I was able to accomplish that. That sounds brilliant. And, you know, nothing like a bit of motivation to, to push you over the line as well. So that's fab. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was kind of an emotional moment in yeah. victory lane. <laughs> I can imagine, you know, the first victory for you um, in that series, but then also for such a important reason as well behind yeah. it. Brilliant. So we've talked we've talked highlights and brilliant moments. What has been, would you say, the most sort of challenging 
moment of your career to date? So the most challenging moment I would say happened, uh, it'd be 20, 2018 and 2019 were my two uh, toughest years. At the end of 2019, uh, it the thought in my head of hanging up my helmet uh, was in my head often. And I hated that. So in 2018 um, was the first year of running the sprint car full-time. So we ended up blowing two motors that year. And that really, really set us back. So I wasn't able to compete for over half of a season because we had blown two motors and yeah, we had the spare one sitting there that we threw in and the next, and they happened almost back to back weekends. So we went and put that second motor in and when it blew, we didn't have another one sitting there waiting to be re- or waiting to be put in yet. We had one sitting there waiting to be rebuilt. So now we had two sitting there waiting to be rebuilt. And unfortunately it put us out of contention for a very long time. I mean, we don't, my family doesn't come from money. We've been fortunate enough to have good backing with sponsors and stuff. And we're not some big, wealthy, rich family where you're your average family here for the Midwest. And so, you know, we didn't have 15 to 20 to 30 grand to go and buy a new motor just for me to run. So that's unfortunately why I was out of contention for, I think about two months within that first season so we thought that that was just a really bad year. We ended up having, I think, like 13 rainouts that year, too. It was just a bad year for racing. So then the next year, we're like, new new car, new design, new sponsors, new year, new season. Let's go get it. And unfortunately, our luck carried over. Uh, our first night, I ended up getting into a little bit of an accident and uh, climbed the wall, knocked the front and rear end out of it. and. Uh, it was just, it was like, great, here we go. And so, and it wasn't so much the aspects of, you know, damaging the car, having this happen, having this happen, but it was also the fact of the big thing was in my head, it was like, well, I am racing sprint cars now, but I see all these big series, World of Outlaws, All-Stars, I see all these big series come through our racetrack and know that that's what I want to do and that I am doing it, just not at that level. And it was so frustrating knowing that I felt I had the talent being out there on the track. I just didn't have the funding. I I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to go and run world outlaws or go run Articat. I, I didn't have that. And I, that was so frustrating to me knowing that I'm right here seeing my dream happen in front of my eyes, but I'm not doing it. And and it was just a thing of, I got in this negative mindset of I'm never going to reach it because my family's not rich. We don't own a company. We don't own, you know, we don't have that. And I'm like, I, I'm never going to be able to do that. And I got into such a negative mindset, which is not, not right. But, it came to the point where I was like, you know, I just, I don't want to sit here at a local level. And, and maybe that's really taking, uh, taking the situation for granted because there are many people that would love to even just step into a race car or, 
you know, get to drive a sprint car one time. And, and here I am, you know, mad and wanting to hang it up because I wasn't racing with the pros of where I wanted to be. And so that was probably really greedy of myself. And so I, I kind of took a step back and during that off season really thought about what I wanted to do and, and what the call was going to be. And I said, you know what, let's go give it another year, keep going. And, and I'm glad I did because that next year was when all the right things seemed to start falling in place. I had met my Australian friends and they're like, well, we'd love to have you come over and race for us in the winter time and come over and visit us. And so that was like, Oh, that's awesome. That was my first thing I was looking forward to. And then I started to meet this person. Well, then this person introduced me to this person. Well, then I met this many more people and I just was making those right connections and making those right people. And, and just to think that really everything does happen for a reason. I didn't stop racing for a reason. There's a reason I met all these people and they got me to this person, to this person and look where we are now. Absolutely. Everything does happen for a reason. I truly, truly believe that myself as well. But those challenges that you've touched on are such a reflection of the state of motorsport more widely in terms of the struggle with funding and also the importance of networking. I feel like they're two of the biggest things within our industry. Um, and they can make or break so much of a person's dream, <laughs> which is which is so difficult to come to terms with. But of course, we're glad that you were able to continue. Um, on a more personal level, you made history recently as being the first openly gay driver to drive an ARCA car. Given the state of the motorsport industry and the lack of diversity that we have, did you find that a challenging period in your career? Or is it something that for you, it was it was not something that you really thought about or gave too much weight to and you were just happy to, you know, be true to yourself and, and focus on your racing. Yeah. So, you know, the, ultimately the coming out story has, it, it's been a long time coming. I mean, you could ask anybody that knows me and they're like, well, we knew we just were waiting on, on you to say, and, and the, the thing that took me the longest in coming out was me worrying about affecting any future endeavors with my racing career. I was so nervous about that. And I think that's why I got so caught up in the mindset of not being able to make it was because I had this big hidden secret. I was living a double life. I was in my free time when I wasn't close to my friends and wasn't uh, around my home area. I was living the actual life that I wanted when I would go somewhere. But then when I was back home, I was living the life that I felt everybody wanted me to live. And I was so caught up on everybody's opinion. I'm such a people pleaser. And I felt that I had to continue with what I was doing because of in the directions I was going. And I didn't want this to alter anything. Now with the uh, me going into the ARCA and making the history at ARCA, I did not know actually at first that I was the first for the ARCA sanctioning. Um, I knew that Stephen Rhodes in 2003 was the first openly gay NASCAR driver in the truck series. And so in my tweet, I had made a post saying that revealing the news of me heading to Daytona 
but as well as being the only openly LGBTQ driver at the moment. And some people really took that and ran saying, well, the Devin Rouse is the first openly gay NASCAR driver. And every tweet that I would see or that I was tagged in, I would, I would correct because I did do my, uh, you know, my history and in, in reading and stuff. And it's not that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not going to take credit for that. Cause it, it's not something you really need credited for. I feel that you should be credited for your skills, talents, and abilities. And like I've told everybody that I've had an interview with, or that has asked me, you know, my, my sexuality doesn't define me, my manner, my characteristics, my, you know, persona, my skills, abilities, and talents is what defines me. That's what makes me Devin not because I'm gay. That doesn't, you know, define me. However, on that note of saying that I am glad to be out there at this professional level of where I am getting to, I am glad to be out there as a role model, glad to be there as a person or story for somebody to look up to that maybe has found themselves after hearing my story, has found themselves in the shoes that I was in and has felt similar feelings or somebody that is already in the community and is openly out or any of the sorts and sees somebody at that level, you know, the support has been amazing and, and thank you isn't enough to everybody, but to know that, you know, I got to make history doing that, especially at Daytona was, was absolutely phenomenal. That was, it was amazing to know that I have that in me. I'm so glad that you you have had the support and you felt the support because that's brilliant. Um, and also going back on what you mentioned about sponsors and not wanting to sort of say or do anything that might affect them and the funding that they they bring to you because more widely speaking, um, that's that's a fear for for anyone in in motorsport who is a driver who is who has sponsors because. You know, even with, you know, just standard media interviews, whoever you are, whatever background you have, it's always that fear of, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing because you don't want it to be taken the wrong way. You don't want to do the wrong thing because you don't want it to not align with a sponsor's values or, you know, what they what they think. So, yeah, I'm I'm sure a lot of people can can relate more widely with with that for sure. Um, Talking about sort of going back to what happened last year in terms of the events we saw over in the US with George Floyd's death. Obviously, that had such a huge impact across the world and um, sort of filtered into every industry um, around the globe as well, including motorsport, no more so than with NASCAR as well. And it, it was very clear that the message of intolerance was no longer, it didn't have a place within the sport. The ripple effect has been massive and initially started as a conversation about racial equality but now that's sort of filtered into other underrepresented groups such as the lgbtq plus community what's your take on on all of that and how that's come about and you know the conversations that are now happening within motorsport because of that catalyst yeah so um i don't know if you had seen this or not, but actually NASCAR uh, made a release um, last June because June is Pride Month, which I I had no idea that that's what that was. Uh, I didn't know that's when it fell. And so uh, June 16th was actually my coming out day. And my coming out post on all of my social media handles was shared off of the NASCAR post. And it had uh, it was a post that was made to represent 
anybody within their association uh, that the po- the exact picture said that uh, I am driven, I am courageous, I am NASCAR. And it had, you know, all the different colors in it. And so that was what I shared off of. And I think that was a big move by them saying that, you know, any of our coaches, our crew chief, you know, anybody on any realm, any title, any level of NASCAR or NASCAR affiliation is a hundred percent supported by there. And, you know, if, if you look at motorsports from the quote unquote stereotypical view, you don't think of LGBTQ or different races being a part of that, you know, from your normal quote unquote stereotypical view, you know, you have your more brute, you know, when you think of racing, you think of your down home brute, true and blue guy, masculine men that support that, you know, with a woman on their hip. And, you know, I feel like that is your generalized image of all motorsports and thinking that that is how it should be. Now, when I came out, the amount of support from the racing community was astronomical. And then, and also making the post about Daytona and then all of the articles being released about me and making the history and stuff, you know, I'm not one to sit there and go. I mean, I look through the comments and stuff, but I'm not going to go sit there and dig and look for what people are saying about me because in all honesty, I really, I don't care. Uh, I, you know, you can say something about me. You can tweet Snapchat, really whatever you want about me. It's not, it's not going to affect me at all. I mean, I am a strong enough person mentally and emotionally that, you know, I am better than that. And why am I going to let something that I, somebody that I, I don't even know and some little stupid comment they made on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, why would I let that bother me? I'm going to keep my mind clear and my focus set and keep continuing to excel and be successful that's the mindset to have that is definitely the mindset to have and I'm glad that you didn't pay any attention to the negativity because as we know social media can be a bit of a rabbit hole once you go once you go down that anyway and you just get lost in it and it does it does obscure the fact that there is so much support and the fact that you've mentioned the support that you got is it's really brilliant and I'm actually so glad to hear that um, because yeah, we know that social media can be a bit of a cruel place. But yes. what does it mean to see? What does it mean for you to see a movement like Racing Pride, which actively promotes LGBTQ plus inclusion and creates visibility for people from LGBTQ plus backgrounds? I think it's awesome, you know, and and knowing that they are bringing more diversification into the motorsports world. And, it, and it's not even just bringing it into the motorsports world. It's, it's bringing it into society and this, this world that we live in as a whole. And, you know, I say everybody is entitled to their own opinion on whatever they're going to think about it. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. However, it does cost zero to be a decent person. It costs zero to be a respectful person. So, you know, there are lines like that, but I can sit here and I can respect your views on what you think and this person's view and this person's view, 
but I also want you to respect my view because I'm giving you the respect to respect your views. So it, it should be coincided with each other that it should go both ways. So the other thing that uh, NASCAR does, as you said, you know, in having the pride stuff, they also have the uh, NASCAR diversification program. And there was a tweet made, I can't remember who it was, but I had seen it. And there was a tweet made, it was for ARCA, that a driver um, was going, had committed, I think it was to Rev Racing, because uh, I think that's who the diversification program is through, is Rev Racing, um, and said that they were, had been uh, committed to a full season this year under racing under the NASCAR diversity program. And so, you know, I've sent off a few emails and, and been uh, very interested in how I can get involved in that program, not just not just to race, but also, you know, if there is any board to that program or do we go do an event? with this program? Do we go do this with this program? Do we go do this? Like, I want to be there involved, not just one to help myself, but also help NASCAR keep building as well. Because if NASCAR isn't building and it's declining, well, then we're obviously not going to have jobs. You know, our, our job is done if NASCAR is not there. So, you know, a lot of people don't think about that. They just think, oh, the driver shows up, pulls the car out, gets in the car and goes. Well, you know, I feel that drivers can do a lot more on their aspect as well and not just building themselves and their team but also helping and working for the association that we're running for, because if it wasn't for the association, we wouldn't be out there racing, you know? That's brilliant. And it's a really good thing that you've reached out and you want to get involved because these initiatives that are set up to often help underrepresented groups are of course brilliant, but it's so important that you have people from the underrepresented groups involved with them. And you know, whether it's as an ambassador or like you said, even if it's just at events, because then at least you know that it's it's coming from the right place and it's well-informed and it can be as useful as possible. So I hope you are able to get involved in some capacity. You've touched on a couple of times in the conversation, the fact that you're quite keen to inspire other people who might come from a similar background or who might've had the same worries or fears that you had prior to coming out. What would be your advice to people who might be in the same shoes? So, you know, people have asked me that, and I think it's a great question. You know, my my thought process and mind on that has changed, you know, throughout the, I don't want to say coming out process, but, you know, in me coming out, you know, what I tell everybody is, you know, my story and why it took so long was because I was so scared of what everybody else would think. I put myself last and put everybody else first. And, and it came to the point where self-happiness was more, meant more to me and me being happy. And my mental health was way more important to me. Finally, after living this double life and this secret and this having to lie and just not be me for so many years, it was just, it was awful. I mean, it, it literally brings a person so far down. And, and I had reached the point with my mental health that I was at an all time low, like I felt like I had hit rock bottom. And, and it was time. It was time to start making myself happy. It was time to start living my life as the true Devon. So what I have to say to everybody out there is 
it doesn't matter what anybody else is going to think about you because is that person making you happy in life? Like any other random person, like say that you come out, that person that is sitting three bar stools down from you at the bar, they make a comment. Are they making you happy through the life? I, I mean, have they done anything? Like that's a random person. So why are you so keen and caught on what that individual thinks? Like it shouldn't matter. The only person that has the ability to do it is you. That's the only person that has the ability and the strength to do it is you. And, and everybody has their different timing with everything and when they think it is right for them, which is 100% true. You know, it took me multiple, multiple years. I'd known since junior high and it took me up until I was 21 years old. So, you know, everybody has their own time, but life's too short. Your life is way too short. You need to live it to the fullest. I live life to have fun because say something happens and I'm laying in my hospital bed, I'm not going to sit there and look back on the times that I was caught worrying and caught, you know, being caught up in my head about worrying what somebody was wasn't agreeing with or was caught upon. I'm going to sit there and look back on the good times and the good memories that I had because that's what life's about, making good memories and living it to the fullest. So go out there and live your life, have fun with it, be who you are. And if somebody doesn't like it, well, then that's one person out of how million that are here on this earth. It, it doesn't matter. We really are so fortunate to talk to so many wonderful guests within the industry, and that was another great chat. With Devin sharing the journey that led him to where he is today, and I loved him talking about how he now finds himself in the same environment and racing against some of the people that he looked up to growing up. What a crazy feeling that must be. Yes, yeah, so crazy, but it just goes to show that nothing is out of reach if you really put your mind to it. I'm sure when Devin was growing up, he would never have thought that one day he would be sitting alongside some of the people that he looked up to, but his hard work and dedication has got him there. Exactly that, and I really respect the courage he had to be himself in an industry that, as we all know, isn't as diverse and inclusive as it could be, but it was so comforting to hear that he received such an outpouring of support. And as Devon said himself, his sexuality plays absolutely no role in his performance as a driver, so why should it be an issue? Yep, and it doesn't affect his ability to drive. And most importantly, he should be able to be true to himself. Devon offered such important advice to any others wanting to pursue a career in the motorsport industry, but may feel worried about being open with their sexuality. And we so hope that people listening will be inspired and encouraged by Devon's story. If you want to keep up to date with what Devon is up to, find him on Instagram at Devon underscore Rouse 16 and on Twitter at Mr. Rouse 16. As ever, for us, you'll catch our latest goings on on Insta at We Are Driven by Diversity. And a big thank you once again to Racing Pride for connecting us with Devon. If you are interested in LGBTQ plus inclusion in motorsport, check out their website at racingpride.com or at Racing Pride HQ on socials. Thank you for joining us for another week. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and we'll be back next Tuesday. Thank you.